Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. Hello, ladies. Thank you for joining me today. I am so happy to be here with Carol Cox. She is a great mentor of mine, and I know we're going to learn a ton from her today. Carol, thank you for joining me. Oh, I am so excited to be here, Erin, and congratulations on your new podcast. Well, thank you. You you had a big part in helping me get here. So thank you so much for that. So I'm going to just read your bio very briefly, and then we're going to hop right into it. So Carol Cox is the founder and CEO of Speaking Your Brand, a coaching and training company that helps high-performing, purpose-driven women entrepreneurs and professionals create their signature talks and thought leadership platforms. Carol is host of the weekly five-star rated Speaking Your Brand podcast, and during election season serves as a Democratic political analyst on TV news. Carol was named as one of Orlando's Women of the Year in 2021 and has been featured in Forbes. Through her company and content, her mission is to empower more women to find and use their voice, to tell the stories that need to be told, and to activate ideas for change. Oh, I love that. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. And that's what you're doing here with the podcast. Well, you know, that is why I'm so happy to have you here. I mean, both of us kind of, you know, work with women to elevate their voices. You know, you do it, you know, very literally with finding their voice and speaking. And I do it through helping them create wealth, which is, of course, a form of voice, you know, of impact and attention and, and having a voice certainly in, um, well, probably always, but certainly these days for sure. So we want to talk today about both the business side of using our voices, as well as the social impact side of using our voices, which is so important for women in our businesses. So tell me about, well, first, let's start with your origin story. How did you get started and what's led to where you are today? Yeah. So maybe like a lot of women, it's a very kind of, uh, you know, winding path. It's definitely not a straight line from what I wanted to do when I was a little girl to today, probably would have been a lawyer. I think that was kind of like what everyone expected me to do when I was in high school, I was on the speech and debate team. And I definitely like to share opinions and, Uh, and do my research and, you know, and show up and, and, and debate. And so, but then I decided in college, I really loved history. I love learning about other people and cultures and really about how the past informs the present. So I went to graduate school for history and then took a very, very left turn detour into software development and then to politics. I I know. Yeah. I was was a self-taught programmer. We built large systems for companies like Lowe's and Office Depot. I mean, we did like the whole gamut, created political software. 
when I was involved in politics as the chairperson of my Democratic Party, and then decided after kind of doing the programming route for about 10 years that I was burned out and really wanted to work more with people than with code. And so I thought, well, what's I, I love being an entrepreneur. So what was the next business that I could do? And people had always told me that I was good at public speaking and they enjoyed my presentations. And so I thought, well, let's start a, a business around that because I knew I needed to find a niche mm-hmm. to, to work in. And little did I know that I thought I was just starting a public speaking company, but really what I was doing was providing this coaching and training and support system for women to really elevate themselves and to share their voices in a bigger way. Because I had faced backlash when I had done that in my political career and didn't have that support system. And so kind of subconsciously, I ended up creating that in this company. Yeah, I, I, I am talking to women about women, and I hear this recurring theme where women, you know, we all started, some of us in majority male businesses, and we experienced that kind of otherness and wanting to work with women and wanting to help them find their voices or having a safe place or having, you know, having a shared language to talk about um, issues. And, uh, you know, for women in particular with with the finding their voices, I know you wrote a post that I think um, it was really moving to me about how exactly you felt silenced. And can you tell us like there was a particular story that you told about an event. Can you share that with us? Sure. So when I was uh, 30 years old, so now looking back, you know, I was very young and, you know, somewhat naive in, in the sense that. I really just wanted to, to have a positive impact. So I became chairperson of my county's Democratic Party, really kind of swept into office by the, the group of supporters who, who encouraged me to run. I had just been a volunteer for the, the couple of years prior to that. They really wanted me to become chairperson. So I you know threw my hat in the ring and was elected. And I, I really saw myself as a way to get more women elected to office. So we ran women candidates for local office in the county. And also I became the media spokesperson for the party. So that's when I went on TV news and became a political analyst. And then, so as I like to say, everything was great until it wasn't. Because what happened was that uh, I guess they, they liked the idea of having a woman uh, leader in theory, but not so much in practice. Because I would start hearing things like, oh, there's Carol and her news crew, or, you know, there, there's Carol basically like having too much of a public voice, having too yeah. much of a public presence as a woman. And this was an entirely volunteer position. I poured my heart and soul into it. And so it was really devastating when the people who I thought were closest to me ended up kind of uh, deciding to withdraw their support, but in a very hostile way. And I remember I had to chair this one meeting of the executive committee and I just didn't want to go. Like, I didn't want to face it. Just like, why? Like, you know, why would you want to put yourself into that? So I decided not to run for re-election as chair. I decided not to run for Congress, which the Democratic leadership had been talking about because I just didn't have the support system mm-hmm. where I felt like I had the resiliency to continue to go through this. And as I say, and this is a keynote that I give that I lost my voice and my confidence and my purpose for years after that. And it wasn't really until wow. I started this business in 2015 that I started to regain it. Wow. Uh, I mean, that is an extraordinary story, but I'm sure that many of us have felt that in different ways um, where uh, when you don't have that support and you uh, do feel actual hostility. I mean, it, yeah. it really, you know, it, it doesn't always come in the form of, you know, sexual harassment, things like that. Sometimes it can just be that hard stop, you know, that, mm-hmm. um, and you have to ask yourself, like, 
how much am I willing to to tolerate to go forward? Thank you for sharing that. I know I know that's a tough one. Hey everyone, a quick word from our sponsor, Think Beyond IP. Think Beyond IP helps your professional services firm build the essential legal and strategic foundation required to confidently scale your business by developing, protecting, and leveraging intellectual property assets. You can find us at thinkbeyondip.com. Now, back to the show. So, you know, as someone who also works in the kind of working with women space, like what have you seen recently that's happening? I mean, I know like I think it's called it's called the she economy or, or you know, there, there's a lot happening around that women working with women space. And you've been in it for longer since 2015. And I see a lot more of it uh, recently. Like, so what have you seen in that women working with women? Yeah, Erin, this is such a great question. And I have two very opposing views about it. And so <laughs> and I, I think I, I'd like to live in the in this world of where I can hold opposing views at the same time. So my first viewpoint is I love it. Mm. I thrive working with other women. You know, there's this, they, you know, there's been saying that's been going on around forever is that, you know, the, like the system we live in was not built by or for women. It was built to benefit men because of the patriarchal white supremacist society we live in, you know, and so on. And so as women, we try to fit in, like kind of mold ourselves into mm-hmm. the system that wasn't really meant for us. And so when we kind of can be in a bubble, which I'm very fortunate <laughs> to be in, where we work with other women, we kind of re- we create a new system that works for us. And then we thrive in it. So Mm -hmm. that's my one viewpoint, very positive. I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. My other viewpoint, this is my, but is that what I see happening a lot, and I'm as guilty of this as any other woman Mm -hmm. is that I tend to gravitate towards women, podcast, women, (laughs) conferences, working with women. And so guess what? When we do that, the men don't get to see us and our full power, our full authority, our full thought leadership, because we kind of, we stay too much in the bubble. So Mm -hmm. one of the things I have to be mindful of is making sure I go to conferences where it's, you know, where it's all genders that I apply to speak at conferences that are all genders and don't Mm -hmm. just stay comfortable in my bubble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is such a good point because I'm certainly guilty of, you know, staying in the bubble. And, uh, and for me, frankly, it's comfortable, but absolutely, you know, you and other uh, women who work in the, you know, getting, more women on panels in conferences, you know, talk about getting that number up. Um, and so it's super important for us to get out there and not stay in the bottle bubble. And uh, obviously, you know, having, you know, programs that build our confidence like this, you know, are great for it. When you're talking about the good parts of, uh, you know, kind of going against the patriarchy, I was reminded of a um, an organization, I'm not going to say it, but it basically um, is helping women lawyers make partner. And I, you know, and they asked me to join for a while. And I, you know, I'm not even kind of a traditional lawyer anyway. But I, I said, you know, I don't know, why would we, why would we want to try to figure out how to fit into the way they 
do partnerships. Like we hate the way they, they do it. It's a terrible model. Like, why are we trying to do that? Why aren't we trying to make one that makes more sense, that has more flexibility, that's more, you know, results oriented and not about like, did you put in your 2000 billable hours this year? You know? And uh, yeah, so there are certain, yeah, you know, one, we need to fix the stuff that's wrong, but we also also need to play in the bigger, the bigger playground too. So yeah, I like that. I like that. So one of the things that you talked about is when you've been silenced and how that's inspired your work. But let's talk about also how women silence themselves and how does that happen? Why does that happen? Yeah, Erin. And, you know, and I have done this myself and I, I'm sure women listening have done this and it is okay. It is okay. Sometimes we have to take care of ourselves and sometimes we don't feel like we have the resiliency or we're just, you know, the strength at the time to, to put ourselves out there or to be really vocal. And that's okay. Like you have to trust yourself and what feels right in the situation, number one. But then, you know, going past that is I think a lot of us are afraid to share opinions because we see other women do so. And we see what happens to them, mm-hmm. the harassment, the, the belittlement, the, you know, the death threats, even, you know, for women on social media, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. we see them ridicule, ridiculed. And so we, when that happens, then I'm sure subconsciously, and maybe even consciously, we think to ourselves, well, why should I put myself out there in the same way? when we see other women that that happens to. And so, but of course, my argument to that is we, I see our, us as pioneers, as being the ones to kind of take a little bit of this unfortunate backlash and criticism. So hopefully we're paving the way for the women behind us not to have to deal with it as much as we do, just like the generations that came before us paved the way for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned social media cause I only hang out on LinkedIn, frankly. Me too. And, and so I forget about like, I mean, obviously a lot of our listeners are, you know, kind of hang out at those kind of more, uh, you know, Instagrams and the Facebooks and places like that. And so like, tell me what, what's happening over there. Like, I didn't know that <laughs> okay. that was happening. <laughs> All right. So my two favorite social media platforms are LinkedIn. That's the one I use the most, uh-huh. but then Twitter is the one where I consume the most because I follow uh-huh. a lot of reporters, journalists you know, people who authors and things like that on Twitter. And I have for years because of my background in politics. And so, but I, I see it on Twitter, even though I'm not so much of a participant. And, but there was a study that was done that says that women online face 27 times more harassment than men do 27 times more harassment. Unbelievable. And so, yes, there's definitely that is going on. And so here's, but okay. So yes, maybe Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. However, Aaron, I've had this experience on LinkedIn ah. as a professional uh, platform back in October of 2020, there had the vice presidential debate had just happened between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. And so she uh, was being interrupted by him. So she now famously said, I'm speaking and, you know, I kind of shut that down. And so that was kind of the meme that was going on. So I posted regarding that. I mentioned, you know, about the vice presidential debate. I had a picture of her with it or saying I'm speaking and then talked about, you know, our mission to, you know, raise women's voices, et cetera. Well, because it was a public post, I had so many men who were not connected to me, but they weren't, you know, connections. Mm-hmm. So many men come on there and talk about how ugly Kamala Harris was, how she didn't have anything important to say. So why would she be speaking? I mean, just the typical stuff. Wow. Wow. That is shocking to me that people 
would do that on a venue like LinkedIn, even Twitter, because I mean, your name is associated with it and just feel that it's okay. Like, how is it that we created that environment that people think that that's okay? I wonder. And so my, my initial reaction honestly was, I just want to delete this post. Like, Mm -hmm. because like energetically, I don't want to have to read these comments either as a woman. And so then my, my good friend and our other, and our least speaking coach, Diane Diaz, who I know, you know, because you work together in the VIP day. And, uh, and she's like, no, 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 Carol. She's like, you know, uh, you need to leave that post up. And so she started replying to some of them because she's really good at that. And then, and so she did to kind of put them in their place. And then, and then at some point we realized, well, this is just like an energy output that there's no ROI back from it. So we just ignore them now. Right. Well, how do you coach people through this when they see this possible backlash? They want to be authentic. They don't want to just like talk about, you know, home marketing, whatever they want to bring some personality to it. We all have points of view on some controversial issues. Like, how do you coach them to like how much of themselves to put out there, you know, versus just sticking to the, you know, the facts? Oh, such a good question, Aaron. And so, and here's what I do for myself. And, and here's what I, I tell the women that we work with is that number one, know that you may get some criticism and backlash. Not always, not every single post that you do. You mostly 95% of the time, you're going to get so much support so much encouragement from when you share either personal stories or share opinions about what it is that, that you do. So know just going in that it's only a minority of times that this is going to happen. Now, if you talk about quote unquote, more controversial topics related to politics, you're going to get more of it than you are. If you're talking about like the best ways to use social media, probably not going to get as much from there. And okay. So number one, know that it's not, it's not all the time. Number two, is that have that support system, like we talked about earlier, where you have other women who are doing similar things in the sense of putting themselves out there, because then it normalizes what you're feeling, but then you know, you're not alone. So, Mm -hmm. and and then the third thing I would say is when you get to a certain point, especially on say like Twitter and Instagram, some of the more public platforms compared to LinkedIn is don't read the comments, Mm -hmm. outsource that to a VA. I know it's hard not to check your own social media, but right. if you get to the point where you feel like you are kind of pushing out some of these stronger opinions that do tend to get more backlash, you may get to the point where you just don't want to read the comments for your own mental sanity. It's just not worth it at a certain mm-hmm. point. So I always, so have a VA or someone go through them, reply to the good ones or send you the good ones so that you know that and just ignore the rest. All right. that That's great advice. Now, even on... <clears throat> you know, less controversial topics. Cause everyone has, you know, even a point of view about like, for me, you know, writing uh, about like what creates a saleable business and not everybody agrees with me, believe it or not. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so even, you know, assuming we, we are pushing out of just being an expert and pushing up into the thought leadership realm, you start to kind of diverge from kind of, you know, standard practices when you're, when you're writing about things. And so just making that leap to thought leadership without being controversial, without intending to be controversial, like that can be really scary too. Like, how do you help people kind of just kind of make that leap? Yeah, it's a process. So I, I really like to look at it as an iterative process. You And, you know, like with most things in life, the more you do things, the easier it gets, or, you know, the more that you, you tend to kind of understand what's going on. And so... Yes. You may have people who disagree with you. That's actually not a bad thing. It shows that you aren't just kind of saying the same thing that everyone else is saying. You are setting yourself apart. 
guys do it all the time. This is mm-hmm. like when you Google search thought leaders, all the images that come up are of men and, and white men in particular, mm-hmm. because women aren't seen as thought leaders because we don't, we need to put our opinions out more often, mm-hmm. even with the backlash that can come from it. And so I, I just kind of see it as the way for us to give back to other women by continuing to put ourselves out there. I cannot tell you how many women message me and say like, Carol, thank you for talking about what you do because it gives me the encouragement to do the same because we really are those role models for other, even if they never say it to us, they see what we're doing and they realize that they can do the same thing. And I'm sure there are women who are watching your post, Erin, and think, oh, look at Erin. She's putting herself out there. I can do that too. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, it's one of my favorite things to talk about is like pushing through the fear and doing it anyway, because I'm still, you know, I'm still doing it. Exactly. So, so how is your book coming along, by the way? I know you're writing a book. I want to see. Oh, what. thank you so much for asking. That. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it is coming. You know, it is challenging to run a, run a growing business and mm. to set us up enough, like time for the mental space that I need to really dig into the book. So it's still in book proposal stage mm-hmm. and my book coach is out of the country right now. So I'm very happy about it as of we're recording. So I'm kind of <laughs> off the hook for this week. So I will be coming back to that, but I'm excited about it because I'm really talking about, uh, especially for, for women stepping into thought leadership, but then also rethinking how we see public speaking. Mm-hmm. So, so for so many of us, you know, if we think of a public speaker, we think of like a Tony Robbins, you know, on a stage with like thousands of people, this charismatic public speaker or a politician, you know, giving his stump speech or something like that. And then, you know, I think public speaking, we see so much as one way, hierarchical kind of ego-based. And I really want us to think of public speaking as being much more two-way, collaborative, engaging, and participatory between us and the audience. I think as women, we tend to gravitate towards that because of the way that we're socialized, but I think it also makes it so much more interesting for the audience as well. So there's a way for us to do that, that will give us kind of a leg up on mm-hmm. what, the, what the men do because, because we have these qualities that we can channel into this and make ourselves so much better at public speaking and really at sharing a message and activating change. Uh, maybe that answers my, my question about that because you wrote about the comparative analysis that you did when you were doing the proposal for your book and you found these gaps in what's out there versus what you think needs to be included. Is that some of that or more, more than that? that yes. Yeah. 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 It is definitely related to that kind of like this, um, this traditional model of public speaking and redefining what public speaking can look like. There are so, they, you know, they say that people are, would rather die than, than speak in public or, you know, and women uh, tend not to be speakers as much as men or to not to have the keynote speeches and things like that. And I think it's because of the way that we have always defined public speaking. So I'm hoping to change that. And then as far as the gap in the public speaking books, they just don't address gender or, and race at all. It's not, it's not even a consideration for them that the way women have to approach public speaking and, and lending their expertise and authority and thought leadership is going to look different than it is for men who do so. Mm-hmm. Just having a diversity of ideas and voices and perspectives. I mean, just by nature of having different people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about the nitty gritty. So public speaking versus thought leadership, like what's the difference? So thought leadership is really an umbrella that encompasses what it is that, how you see the world 
and what message you want to share to help your audience imagine something better or different for themselves. So I liken it this way. An expert has the answers, which we need. We need experts like the scientists and you know our doctors and government officials and us and our businesses. We are experts and people come to us for our expertise. We need to continue to do that. Thought leadership is not about having all the answers. It's about asking bigger questions bigger questions of ourselves and bigger questions of our audiences. We can think of them as why questions. Why are things the way they are? Why are these best practices in our industry? Why is there these gaps in our industry? What can we do about it? So asking those questions. So that's thought leadership. Public speaking happens to be a channel to convey your thought leadership. And in my mind, public speaking is one of the best ways to convey thought leadership because being a speaker gives you that kind of built-in authority for then the thought leadership message that you're sharing. Gotcha. Okay. And so in terms of public speaking, I mean, a lot of we immediately think of getting up on a stage in front of a bunch of people. What are the many ways that we can be speakers without, you know, getting in front of an auditorium of people? Of people? Yes. So I would encourage you to still do that. Get on a stage and, and, and be in front of the people because we need more women doing that. So definitely kind of that, you know, being in person on stage is virtual because we, which we've been doing for the past two years during the pandemic is certainly also a big part of it podcasting, whether it being a host of a podcast, like you are now, Aaron, guesting on a podcast. It could also be videos. So LinkedIn lives, Instagram lives, Facebook lives, whatever you're doing, some type of video content can be public speaking. It could also be, let's see, we got podcast videos in person, virtual presentations. Those are the main ones that I see that most of us do some, some form of speaking in a way that we're kind of talking to a public audience. And how does that tie back to building our businesses? Yeah. So Aaron, you may have experienced this with, I know that I have, and many of our clients have, is that when we speak, whether in person or virtually, we will get leads and clients from that. Because, mm-hmm. because think about it this way, you post something on social media, maybe the algorithms will show it to your followers and maybe they won't. Mm-hmm. Maybe your followers happen to be paying attention that day. Maybe they're not, but it's kind of like out into the ether of the internet. When you're speaking to a group virtually or in person, you pretty much have a captive audience. Sure, they may be you know, looking at their phone or looking on a browser, but for the most part, they're captive. Yes. And you, again, are seen as that built-in authority, that built-in leader by being the speaker. And so now when they think, oh, I need someone to help me create, you know, build my assets for my business so I can exit one day, or I need someone to help me with my thought leadership of public speaking, they're going to think of us versus someone they may have seen a social media post of from three months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine the kind of impact, I don't know how many touches that equals, you know, I guess they say like, you need to have X number of touches before someone will reach out to you and how many more touchy it is <laughs> to, be, <laughs> yes. to be talking to someone instead of uh, them reading your post. Uh-huh. So yeah. And just, you know, hearing your voice, seeing the way you express yourself, you know, connecting, uh, in that way, it's just such a more intimate connection than, than a social media post does. So, yeah. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan. And I hope, you know, for all of us, when we start speaking and listening to ourselves and seeing ourselves, you know, getting through that, fortunately, <laughs> no longer, I'm very used to what I sound like, and what I look like on video and, and in recordings. But sometimes that can be a little bit of a shock if you haven't... Uh, the first time. So yes, it gets, it gets easier. It gets easier more you listen to yourself. So what are the trends in public speaking and thought leadership in 2022? I know you just did a podcast. 
podcast about this, but no, yes. I, every, the, the, whatever the first week of January is, I always do a trends episode because I just, I find it fun. I like to kind of think about what, you know, what to think about. So for, uh, for 2022, I really was thinking a lot about hybrid events. So we did basically all virtual for pretty much two years. And mm-hmm. I really see, I'm hoping at least, and I also see a lot of conferences doing a hybrid option where they're, they're excited to get back to in-person as am I, but they realize that there's a lot of benefit to virtual attendees as well, giving that option to people who either can't travel, you know, have care, caregiving responsibilities that make it difficult from the travel, the expense, climate change, like, you know, people don't want to fly in an airplane halfway mm-hmm. around the world all the time. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, glad to see those hybrid events. Now, as a speaker, it becomes a little bit more challenging because we now have to to engage an audience both in person and virtually at the same Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. It was one thing to be in person engaged and one thing to be virtual and engaged, but they have to do both at the same time. So we definitely need to hone those skills. That's one big thing. The other thing about thought leadership is really uh, thinking about how to integrate your personal stories, your personal journey into your thought leadership idea, your thought leadership message. As I mentioned before, it's about asking these bigger questions about Mm -hmm. why are things the way they are. The reason why you probably are asking those questions related to a specific idea is because it has some type of relevancy to you and experiences you've had. So being willing to integrate that personal aspect into what you do is really compelling for the audience. I mean, when you asked me those questions earlier about those experiences I had, that was what led to what I do today that mm-hmm. was my personal journey. So it's very much connected. And it's the same thing for whatever your thought leadership idea is. Now, I know that, you know, just generally people are want to do business with people who they share values with, like in a way that was not the case 10 years ago, like Coke is doing whatever. I don't care what Coke's doing so long as it tastes good, whatever McDonald's doing, they got, you know, and now people care and they want to know that um, they share your values. And so I imagine that trickles down to the small business level, to the entrepreneurs, to the uh, professional services firm that you're you're engaging. So are there dangers in having like too much personality or expressing that too much? Like, will you turn some people off? Is that okay? You're turning the right people on? I would say, yes, you probably are going to turn some people off. I mean, we, Aaron, we could probably think of some, some people who put themselves out there with their personal brands or personalities and maybe just doesn't dive with us. Like we just don't resonate with them and that's okay because there's lots of other people who do similar things to what that person do, does. And the same thing for us now. So we think about, uh, you know, what we do in our businesses and we are, we don't have the scale of a Coca-Cola or a McDonald's. I mean, they have billions of dollars to spend on advertising so that mm-hmm. people always know that they exist. Like literally <laughs> you cannot go probably a day without seeing an advertisement or drive down the street and see them. We are not Coca-Cola and McDonald's. So we have to attract the people who are going to be most interested in working with us. And this is what I have found, Aaron, and maybe you have found the same thing is that when we put our values and personality out there, the people who do come and work with us, they get better results, but it's so enjoyable to work with them because there's that alignment there as well. So I just think, I feel like it makes the work that I do so much more rewarding because of that. And so I don't see the downside of it. Yeah, I agree. I think the best part of kind of the shift that I've made from kind of more traditional legal work to working with women is that 
uh, I mean, I get to talk to like really smart women with really interesting ideas. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I mean, like, I just like just chat with them. I'm like, okay, I guess we need to do some business here. But it's just so cool to hear um, all the interesting ideas that people have, um, what their dreams are, you know, what their plans are. And it's, uh, it is, it's, it's very different experience than just kind of being engaged to do a task or, you know, so yeah, I agree hundred percent. Yeah. And Erin, it reminds me, so I have a woman that I, we worked with a couple of years ago and she's an attorney and she, well, she was an attorney. Now she does something different in her business. Like many, many women who were attorneys do. And she said that, and she was talking to a law firm, not that long ago, maybe four years ago. And they are talking with a company who needed to hire a law firm and the company didn't want to hire law firm a let's call them law firm a because they did not have a diverse set of lawyers on their team. Mm -hmm. They just did not. It was basically all the white men. And so the company was like, no, no, we don't want that because that does not represent our values either. So there are a lot of companies who are looking at professional services firms too, and using their values as a decision-making filter. Absolutely. And there, there is, you know, pressure, frankly, from the top down. I mean, if the, you are certainly, if you're in the government contracting business and they will expect you to use subcontractors that, um, are diverse. Um, but that's all a good thing you know, that, um, that, uh, there is kind of, uh, best practices and ethical standards and things like that. The biz, big, mis, big businesses are being pressured by their shareholders that are therefore pressuring their vendors or therefore pressuring their, their subcontractors. So yeah, that is all beautiful. So as you know, one of our um, missions here is to help create an economy that works for everyone. And so I'd love to hear if there's a person or organization that you admire the work that they're doing and helping uh, achieve that. Yes, Aaron, I love Gender Avenger. Their website is genderavenger.com and they have a Twitter account, Gender Avenger. And what they do is that when conferences announce their speaker and panel lineups, they go through and they look and they grade them with a pie chart on how many men versus women and how many women of color and people of color versus not. And then they'll give their award them like different kind of like levels based on how balanced their speaker and panel light ups are. And then what's great about it is that they send out this and they'll, they'll call out the conferences and say, Hey, you know, you have all male panels on these topics need to, you know, add some diversity, but then other people on Twitter who notice conference light ups will tag gender Avenger and point it out to them so that they can then start to, to kind of put a little bit of a spotlight on these conferences to let them know that, Hey, it's 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah, should that- not be going on. <laughs> I love it. That is fantastic. Gender Avenger. Yes, we will absolutely have that in the show notes. So tell me what you would. Yeah, I'm sure you got tons going on at, at your company. So is there offer a promotion you'd like to talk about with the audience? Sure, Erin. Uh, so thank you so much. I'm happy to do so. So our signature program is called the Thought Leader Academy. And when women go through it, it's 16 weeks long. We meet weekly on Zoom plus one-on-one coaching calls. And during the program, you work on your thought leadership message and idea and integrating your story, like we talked about, your mm-hmm. signature talks, your visibility, your speaking feeds, and of course, delivery as well. So it's a comprehensive program. The women who come through it are attorneys or 
former attorneys, uh, pharmacists, physicians, <laughs> recovering attorneys, I think yeah, recovering attorneys. Yeah. We have like pharmacists, physicians, scientists, coaches, uh, copywriters, strategists. So it's really, I love the diversity of industry as well as a diversity of background that people bring to it. And it's truly just uh, a pleasure every single week to jump on these calls with them and to see what they're working on help them with their milestones and to cheer them on. That is fantastic. And I can say that I have been through the signature talk program, which is also wonderful. And uh, so I hope that everyone will check that out as well. Well, thank you so much, Carol. It's been a delight to have you. And as expected, so much goodness in this episode. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Erin. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe. And I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.